0: All right. Uh, Good morning, fellas. As y'all continue to head on in and grab a seat, uh, I'll introduce myself real quick and uh, welcome you guys to Summit. My name is Daniel Crawford. I've served on staff here uh, for the last five years uh, leading our college ministry, actually. And so fun little fact for me is that today is actually my second to last day on staff. And so uh, we just launched a new college gathering on Thursday nights that I'll get to teach at tonight one last time. And so it's just like, dude, let's sprint through the finish, man. Let's do summit in the morning. Let's do some college gathering at night. But uh, that is kind of just funny how it landed. And, and I love being here with you guys. Had the opportunity to be here in in the spring. And I'm just spurred on by uh, the men represented in this room. And so uh, I know that you guys have been walking through the book of Judges, this really chipper, uplifting Uh, sweet, optimistic, uh, no, it's this book that reminds us of just the wickedness and the depravity of our own hearts, that as I know they've laid out in previous weeks, just the cycles of sin uh, that we've seen, uh, you know, these men get caught up in, but that we are just no different. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off, we're going to be in chapter six and seven, which is a bunch of scripture to talk about in 20 minutes, but it's the story of Gideon. And so really what I would love to do as we look at the story of Gideon, Uh, man, it was good for my heart in the last week to be reminded of some of the things that we see in the life of Gideon. And so that's really what I want to do over the next 20 minutes is talk through uh, just three things that God reminded me personally through Gideon's story this week. And so before we do that, I'd love to just pray for us and uh, we'll dive in. So Father, we love you and uh, it is an encouragement to me to be in a room full of men who uh, are willing to rise before the sun and open up the word and uh, open up their lives to one another. And so I pray that you would uh, see that, honor that, and, and bless that uh, intentionality, and, and that you would use this time for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Well, dude, let's just fire it up. So Judges chapter six, verse one. Let's see what's going on. Verse one. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Jumping down to verse six. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, For help. So, even right there in those first six verses, uh, you see kind of the first three steps of that sin cycle we've talked about, which is uh, you see sin, and then you see slavery, the consequences of sin, and then you see supplication. You see a crying out to the Lord in the midst of that slavery, crying for salvation, which would be the fourth step before silence as the fifth step, and the circuit continues. And so we see God's reply here in verses seven through 10. And so let's read that. It says that when the Lord, I'm sorry, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And he says, there's a lot of I statements here of him just reminding, hey, I led you, let me just remind you, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of slavery I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the land of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you. I gave you their land. And then, after all of that, I said this to you, verse 10, I said, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. There's a quote that Wagner says often around here that just says, man, If you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. But I'm just telling you, if you keep doing what you're doing, there's going to come a point where you don't like what you got. And that's where Israel is at at this point. And when those moments come, we do the funniest thing. We have a really, our memory becomes really hazy with God's track record and his past faithfulness. We quickly forget about that. And we also are pretty blind to our present unfaithfulness. And so I think we see that. Uh, when Gideon has this little encounter with the angel of the Lord that we're not going to get into that either interpretive challenge wise but verse 13 Gideon says this this is chapter 6 verse 13 Gideon said to him please my Lord if the Lord is with us why then has all this happened to us and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers have recounted to us saying did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt that's what they say But now the Lord has forsaken us and he's given us into the land of Midian. And so the first thing I was reminded of this week is this, is that we are prone to ignore God when the going is good and we are very, very quick to blame him when the going gets tough. Said another way, just when life is as it should be, it's primarily because of what I am doing. And then when life is not going so hot, it's primarily because of what he is not doing, right? My life is going well, I get the credit. My life is not going so well, he gets the blame. There's just a tendency in our hearts to be blind to our own hand in things. Anybody watched the Red River rivalry game this past weekend? Yeah, I, I, I saw that. That was offensive. That is very offensive, uh, I went to A&M and so I used to just, uh, there you go, they're in here too. I, I used to just hope the stadium kind of imploded on that weekend uh, growing up, but then I married a chick from OU and so now uh, it's very refreshing actually watch football teams that consistently win games for a change. And so uh, this weekend, here's what you would have seen if you watched the game or if you just saw highlights, you would have undoubtedly seen uh, CD Lamb. Just going Houdini on people and miraculously escaping uh, Texas defenders. You would have maybe seen Jalen Hurts racking up rushing yards. You know what you never saw and that nobody talked about? The field goal units. For either team, nobody talked about the field goal units. And do you know why nobody talked about the field goal units? Because there was a total of four field goals kicked and four field goals made. There was a total of seven extra points kicked and they all went through the uprights. And here's the deal with the field goal units is, is we never really notice them until they fail to meet our expectations in some way. If you're a holder and you're a snapper, like, forget about it. It's, there's no hope for glory for you. The only time you're going to be on the TV is when you screw up. Uh, the kicker it could at least go either way. Like, the life of a kicker, dude, that's a stressful life, man. I don't envy the life of the kicker. Because you certainly have these moments uh, you know, where it's, you nail it and, and you're the hero and you split, you know, you make your field goal at the end of the game. You won the game for us, man. Way to go. We love you. But then there's also these moments in the life of the kicker as well, right? And it's like, ooh, awkward. Nobody talked to Larry. And uh, hey, I know the first 59 minutes and 59 seconds of the game, there was a lot else that happened, but you lost it, buddy. You had a chance at the end. And you lost it, and so uh, I say that in jest, but I say that because I do think that we can at times view and treat God almost like uh, like a cosmic kicker, where it's that whole "you had one job" mentality, and your job is to make sure that my needs are met as I define them, and that your role is to make sure I am healthy, wealthy, happy, comfortable, and satisfied. And as long as you're doing your job, I got nothing but love for you. But the minute things start to go sideways, the minute you start to miss the mark is the minute that my affinity for you starts to drift. And and here's the reality, is that God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. The scriptures are, are super clear. There's one thing and one thing only that we deserve, and that thing is hell. And the little tastes and foretastes of hell that we experience on this fallen earth are not God's fault. God is responsible for the possibility of evil because he gives us a free will. But man is absolutely responsible for the reality of evil as we choose sin and don't choose God on a daily basis. So the good news is that God is doing something about it that by sending his son to pay the penalty for sin, that he now offers eternal life as a free gift. The Bible also says, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I start there to show that in this loving pursuit of us, that God, he'll do this thing. We don't like it because he starts to meddle with our business. But he's going to do this thing where he's going to start to expose the objects and the aspects of our life that really we're looking to and trusting in above him or instead of him. And he wants to show us those things in our life that prevent us really from experiencing him fully. And so uh, my second main takeaway, and really this is the heart of what the Lord taught me this week, the third thing is really quick at the end. But the second thing the Lord reminded me this week is that in his kindness, God will reveal and remove our false sources of strength and security. God will reveal and remove our false sources of strength and security. And so we already looked at Gideon's uh, sort of initial heart posture. Uh, Hey, where are you at? Where have you been? Why is this happening to us? Uh, We need help. That's verse 13. And then verse 14, God says, hey, granted, I'm listening. You're the guy, suit up. You're in, and Gideon's kind of like that is not exactly what I had in mind. Uh, But uh, and so there's this tug of war match that goes on, and then finally, uh, Gideon kind of reluctantly moves forward. And then and then first order of business is God says this in verse 25. He says that night the Lord said to him, "Take your father's bull, the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is." Beside it. And we've all been there, right? I have no idea what that means. I had to look it up. And so so these are pagan sources of idolatry, essentially. These are objects of worship. These are things that people in that community would look to for assurance, for security, uh, for provision that we're not God. This is exactly what God said not to do. And so he says, go rip those things down, you know, partly symbolic. But uh, that was the reality. And so Gideon in verse 27 kind of once again reluctantly does that. He goes under the cover of night, Jason Bourne style, so that nobody sees him. And so he's still not so sure about this thing, but he's kind of taking steps forward. And then chapter 6 moves on, and it's got this really bizarre thing about fleeces I know y'all are reading along with this and reading Tim Keller's book as well. Uh, We're not really going to talk about that, but he's essentially testing God. Hey, I want this fleece to be dry, and then I want the fleece to be wet. And then if you do what I'm asking you to do, and you kind of give me the wink and the nudge, then I'll keep going forward. And so that's what happens eventually. And he says, great, I'll do it. I will assume this role. I will lead the army moving forward. And God says, great, okay, I humored you through that. And now I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. And you're not going to be nearly as well resourced as you thought you were going to be. So chapter 7 now, verse 2. Chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. And so verse 3, he basically says, if you're scared, you can go home. And two-thirds of them, take him up on that offer. And that leaves 10,000 guys left. And then verse four, the Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many. Uh Uh-oh. And so then he says, hey, you play games with me with the little fleece thing. Let's do some games back. Let's do a drinking game, okay? Let's go down to the water. And if anybody hits a knee and like a gentleman cups the water to their mouth, you can keep them and they can stay in your army, but if anybody goes straight down and goes face plunged into the water, you got to kick them out. And precisely 97% of the remaining soldiers go face plunge right into the water. And so all of a sudden, what do we have other than Gideon's 300, right? Before there were Spartans with the abs that fought in slow motion. In Hollywood, there was Gideon's 300 men. And so here's what I think is happening here. Here's something that I just observed is that the Lord had him go and remove these these physical items, these physical sources of strength and security from his town, but that there were still things in Gideon's heart, there were still sources of strength and security there uh, that had not been taken down. And the Lord was revealing those things and removing those things. He was essentially saying, hey, you may not think I'm good at all, uh, but you certainly don't seem to think I'm good enough. And so... Uh, I lead worship from time to time, and uh, was up in our Frisco campus a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Frisco is in beast mode right now because they are at a high school, and so they load everything in at like 5:45, and then tear everything down after those services. And so you get there and you set up, and it's this long process. And so we get to like about an hour before the first service starts, and just burr, 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 just everything dies. And so all of the tech side of things, all of the, uh, you know, bells and whistles and trinkets that we use that aren't bad things, but that uh, it kind of just exposed, man, shoot, what do we do now? And I had this moment where uh, we had practiced, like the songs we were going to do is just like, dude, those things would not land if you don't have a full band. And so uh, we got to redo songs. And then the this lyric hit me as far as when the music fades and all is stripped away. Like I'm coming back to the heart of worship, super old song. Uh, but it we sang that and that's what we did and uh, picked another few songs that were just more familiar and acoustic friendly. And, and here's the funny thing is that uh, at the end of the services, Uh, The tech team, Martin Massinger and his team that do an incredible job up there, people came up and were just like, dude, that was such a great idea. That was so refreshing. And they're like, great, thank you. I'm glad you thought that. And so now every four to six weeks, they actually do it on purpose. And, uh, And just to keep as a reminder, man, a little change up, a little just sense of, hey, we don't need all of that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that stuff, but we just need God. And here with a heart of worship is all he is calling us to as we look to him and know that he is enough. He is enough. And so I wonder if you've ever felt this way or seen this in your life as we kind of start to wind down here. When God fails to meet our expectations in some way, he is often preparing to exceed our expectations in another When God seemingly fails to come through and disappoints me in some way, he is oftentimes setting the table and stacking the deck to really wow me in some other sort of way that I wouldn't have even seen. You know, as Ephesians 3 says, he reminds us that he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think. And I thought about that. And I came to this realization, and the realization was this, that from age 19 to 33, which has been my life following Jesus, there's been more, I'm sorry, there's progressively less just holy crap, just God moments in my life as time has moved on in my walk with Christ. And here's what I'm positive of, is that God is not getting less amazing and less miraculous. I think what's happening is that my heart can grow calloused and I've never said it, I've never even consciously thought it, but I, it feels like and seems like I need God less on a day to day basis right now than I did when I first came to Christ way back when. And I forget that, man, without Him, I can do nothing. So, John 15 says, so apart from Him, I can do nothing nothing. And so the reality is that if God, and I would offer this to you, if if God hasn't blown my mind or if God hasn't blown your mind in a while, I wonder if it's because we're not letting him. I wonder if it's because we're not creating the space to let him wow us with our provision. Maybe because we crave security and predictability and familiarity and routine. And maybe because We're unwilling to step out in faith towards the unknown and expose ourselves in a way where we're vulnerable. We insist on measuring out and ensuring our success before we're willing to even move one step. Maybe we double and triple check our fleeces, right? Until eventually that that random little nudge that God put on my heart, that random thing that doesn't make sense, but that I feel like he's asking me to do, I get to a point where I just kind of explain that away. And I think that's a shame, and I think I do that. Or maybe we've just simply found a spiritual routine that kind of works for us. It's Thursday mornings, Sunday mornings, Thursday mornings, Sunday mornings. And we just slowly start to lose that sense of awe and reverence for who God is, that he sees me, that he's for me, that he's enough. And so to close here, while it's true that God uses our weaknesses to humble us. His aim is, is not to humiliate us. So my third and final takeaway was that God doesn't shame us by pointing at our deficiencies. He wants to show us his sufficiency. So way back, and once again in chapter six, we skipped this, and I skipped it on purpose. I'm just gonna read verses 14 through 16. This is after Gideon's complaint. Right, where are you at? Where have you been? How come this is happening to us? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And so Gideon rightfully says, I am the weakest, I am the least, I am inadequate, I am incapable. And God says, that's correct. But I'm the God of the universe and I will be with you. I'll be with you. And so uh, by taking away all of our feelings of self-reliance, by removing these sources of strength and security in our lives that we trust in more than we trust in God, God longs to show us that he is enough, he is sufficient. And so um, I would love to close by just sharing how this has played out in my life over the last five months or so. Back uh, in May, as as I said at the beginning, if you weren't here, this is my second to last day on staff. so I've got like 36 more hours as an employee here. And as I've reflected on that, uh, really looking back at the last several months, Back in May is when I started to get this little obnoxious pebble in my shoe that I was trying to shake out because I love my job. And, uh, and so God started putting it on my heart that I think a transition was coming. And so I went to my coat closet and I pulled out my North Face and my Patagonia fleece and I put it in the front yard. I actually didn't do that at all. Uh, but I really did start pushing back. And what happened is that each point God just looked at it and he's like, man, that's not a bad thing, but that's not it. And so I started to see these false sources of strength and security that I was looking at, even in my job. And I wonder if you feel this way too, is, is you know, I had this directional leadership role within the college ministry at this amazing church, you know, that's very well regarded and well resourced. Uh, I've had Uh, just a new gathering that just started like a month ago that's really been three years worth of labor in the making and it just started. I've got a team under me and around me that I know and that I trust and that I love and uh, I've got, dude, personal wisdom and professional wisdom of the men on this staff team just an elevator ride away or a walk down the hall and not least of all, you know, I've got a modest but consistent salary here and amazing health benefits that have provided huge security for me and for my family. And so I look at all of that and I just think it doesn't make sense to walk away from it, not now. And so God has just been slowly over the course of the last several months just whittling away at my army. And he's just been showing me, but I will be with you. And I am enough. And those things are not bad things, but don't put them in my place. And so my wife and I uh, co-founded a nonprofit about a year and a half ago um, rooted in our story that I don't have time to tell you about, but um, that's where I am now headed. And, and nothing about it, Able Speaks is what it's called, um, ablespeaks.org is uh, who we are and what we do. And so uh, nothing about it makes sense. Uh, there's, uh, if it was up to me, making that transition even possible uh, would not be a thing. And But God has just, as we've created the space and given him the opportunity to wow us, he's done that and then some. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what those things are in your life, whether it's at work or at home or in your community group uh, that you're tempted to cling to maybe. And maybe you don't even realize that you have such a tight grip on it. And uh, I'm gonna just pray now that the Lord would, in his kindness, reveal and remove any false senses of strength and security in our life, so that we would look to him and trust in him alone. Father, we do, uh, my hunch is that every man in this room is here because he longs to know you more. He longs to serve you. He longs to experience you. He longs to lead in such a way uh, where he represents you well. And so, uh, would you answer those prayers, Lord? Would you continue to do abundantly more than all we can even ask or think. And would you uh, be with these men in these conversations that come up uh, here in the next hour? And uh, would you be with us as we finish out our week? And that this wouldn't just be a routine and a rhythm and a box that we check, but this would be uh, just us taking advantage of a means of your provision and getting around your word, getting around your people, and uh, that your spirit would lead us. And we lay all that before you in Jesus' name, amen.